Well, good morning, Grace people. Good to be with you today. It's always good to be gathered together in the house of the Lord to receive and hear his word today. It's also a special day today. You know, it's Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, yeah, it's that uh, annual tradition where Minnesota Vikings fans gather together in homes to watch other teams play for championships. It's just such a, such a wonderful thing. I know, I know. I'm a lifelong fan. Always next year, right? There's always next year, yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, let me give you a little bit of an insight into my life and into our life as a church staff. You know, um, as we prepare and do plans for ministry throughout the year and gather together in our staff meetings to do this kind of planning and preparation. There's one question that kind of always comes up again and again as we're working through these conversations. And the question is, do we need a sign for that? Now, that is not a theological question, by the way. We're not saying, do we need a sign from the Lord as to whether or not we do this ministry? No, no, it's a much more practical question. It's a simple practical question. If we're scheduling something on a Sunday morning or any time in the building, do we need to create a sign so people know what's happening and where to go? Okay? It needs to be clear and concise. It needs to catch people's attention and point people in the right direction. We're always wondering, is it time to create a sign? And you know, sign creation can be a tricky thing. Because signs can sometimes be confusing. Sometimes they don't say the right things or, or let, well, let me give you some examples. First of all, there's like, there's this sign, okay, this next sign. So, touching wires causes instant death and a $200 fine, <laughs> as if death wasn't enough. There's a $200 fine, too. Yeah, yep, yep. Or there's, there, there's, there's the next sign. How about this one? Mini watermelons, $3.99. I, <laughs> I don't think, I think that's not a watermelon, you know, uh, no, not a chance, yep, yep. Or this one, here's a special caution sign, do not exceed 20 children. Good warning for parents everywhere. Nope, don't go over 20 children, yep, yep. Or then there's, there's this one, it's my personal favorite, yep, buy bed, free one night stand. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's what they intended to say, but that's what the sign looks like. Right? Oh my gosh. You know, the purpose of a sign is never just to see the sign, right? But it's to point you towards something else, hopefully something important. We're in the Gospel of John, and, and you might not know this, but the Gospel of John is referred to by, by some scholars throughout history as the Book of Signs. The Book of Signs. And as we've been making our way through the Gospel of John, just getting started, we've seen this term show up, talking about signs. John uses signs. And there are, in fact, seven events within John's accounting of the Gospel that he refers to as signs. And that isn't an accident. Even the number seven itself is a sign. It shows up a lot in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, referring to things that have been completed. For example, there are seven days of creation, seven feasts of Judaism, there are seven lampstands, seven last words of Jesus from the cross, seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer, and seven churches in the book of Revelation. There's a lot of sevens. That's just a touching on a few of them. But there are a lot of sevens that show up. And in the Gospel of John, he has seven signs that he reveals, seven miraculous signs but there are only seven 
in the Gospel of John. And that's kind of interesting because if you go and look at miracles in the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's actually a lot more miracles. They show up a lot more frequently than they do in the Gospel of John. So if this is the book of signs, and signs are important, then how come there are actually so few of them within the Gospel of John? Well, we're going to learn some about that in the passage that we're looking at today. If you brought your Bibles with you, why don't you open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We're going to be in the second half, or actually the last portion of chapter 4. We were in the beginning of chapter 4 last week when Pastor Angie shared with us that important, powerful story of Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And the, the story continues going on through the Gospel of John and comes around to John chapter 4, beginning at verse 43. That's where I'm going to begin reading if you have your own Bibles with. You can follow along, otherwise just listen as I read this portion of Scripture. After two days, Jesus left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, Come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So Jesus is back in Galilee. He had started there in that home region. This is kind of his home turf. And now he's returned back to this place, Cana, to be exact, the actual location of the first sign, changing the water into wine. Kind of a big deal. We talked about it a few weeks ago. You can go back and take a look if you missed it in our sermon series collection there. But he's, he's all the way back now. So he starts in Cana in Galilee, winds up going down to Jerusalem, winds up returning back now to Cana in Galilee. This is his hometown. Jesus was known by these people. Galilee was kind of the region, almost like a county, you could think of it, today. And within that county, there were a number of, of cities and towns and municipalities. Nazareth was part of Galilee, Capernaum, Cana, a number of other small towns that were all part of this area called Galilee. So this is Jesus' hometown, and that's significant because as Jesus says in this own passage, the beginning of it, he did not expect to be honored in his hometown. 
A prophet doesn't find honor in his hometown. Matter of fact, in earlier passages right within the Gospel of John, it says that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. It's a theme throughout John. So here comes Jesus into his home region, his hometown, and there's a crowd of people who have shown up. There's a crowd of people in Galilee. Well, if Jesus wasn't going to be honored, why is there a crowd of people showing up? I mean, it seems like that's a pretty big deal, right? There's a welcoming committee there to, to receive Jesus coming back. You'd think that, that would be some form of honor, but that's not what it is. Because you see, those who were there, Jesus understands their hearts and their motivations. And they were there to see the show. They were there to see the show. Young boy, hometown boy does good. Went off down to the big city. We followed him there. Saw the things that he did here. He did more there. Now he's back. Let's see what kind of show Jesus brings to town now. Let's see if we can get some more miracles out of him. Let's see what he will do for us. They've seen the signs and wonders that Jesus has done, and they believe that he can do even more of them. They believe in what Jesus can do. But they don't yet believe in who Jesus is. And that's important. And then there's this royal official who shows up in town at the same time. Royal official. Now, who is this royal official? We don't know who they are by name. But the fact that they're called a royal official probably means they're part of, of Herod's court. King Herod, the one who shows up a few different times throughout the Gospels. Not a good king, but a king nonetheless. Very wealthy. His, his royal officials would have been pretty well off too. This royal official lives in the town of Capernaum. Now, you can imagine as a royal official, he probably has access to a lot of things. He's got some wealth. He's got some resources. If his son's sick, he could probably go find the best doctors in Capernaum to come and treat his son. Maybe he's already done that. We don't know. But whatever it is, this guy's desperate. He realizes that whatever power and authority he has, it's not enough to heal his son. So he decides to make the journey to Cana where Jesus has gone. And that's not a short trip. It is 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana, easily a full day's walk. But he's willing to make that journey to get all the way to talk to Jesus. He wants help. He needs help. And he begs Jesus to come with him back to Capernaum. In the midst of this whole crowd Jesus, just come with me, please. My son is dying. And Jesus' response sounds a little harsh. And in fact, Jesus isn't speaking when he responds to this man just to him. He's saying it so that everyone can hear who is there. And his response is, unless you all, or y'all, you want to put it in the southern kind of thing, it's plural, unless y'all see signs and wonders... Y'all will never believe. He puts that out there for everybody to hear. Because Jesus recognizes the tendency to look for signs. But this man 
is insistent. Jesus, please come with me or my son is going to die. Jesus is addressing the faith of the crowd as he speaks to all of them about these signs. Because he recognizes that in looking for the signs, people often have a, what I call, transactional kind of faith. There's a belief that Jesus can do these things, and that's what the trust is in. Jesus, I'm, I'm praying here now that you would do something for me, and if you do something for me, I, I will believe in you. Looking to the sign first. It's a transactional kind of faith. It reminds me of a story, the story of a gentleman by the name of Charles Blondin. Charles was a French tightrope walker in the late 1800s. And he did something remarkable over here in his time in the United States. He was the first man to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Stretched a tightrope from one side to the other, and he traversed Niagara Falls. Now, this wasn't a cable. It was kind of before strong cables were put in place. It was a rope. So think about it. A three-inch rope stretched from one side to the other. You can imagine how loosey-goosey, wavy that thing could be. But he made it all the way across as the first person to tightrope walk from one side to the other. But that wasn't all that he did. He did it multiple times. And one of the times that he crossed over, he laid down in the middle and took a nap. Another time, he carried with him a stove, brought the stove to the middle, cooked breakfast, and ate breakfast in the middle of the tightrope, and then continued on to the other side. You can imagine curiosity is starting to build about this guy. And then one time, he went and got a wheelbarrow, put the wheelbarrow, and rode the wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls from one side to the other. Incredible amazing. Did it multiple times. And as the story goes, one of the times that he was there, as the people were cheering him on, wondering if he could do it, but, but enthusiastic about watching this performance and seeing it happen, Charles Blondin offered a challenge. and says, hey, does anybody want to get in the wheelbarrow as I go across Niagara Falls? Nobody raised their hands. <laughs> nope. Their faith had a limit. Oh, they believed that Charles could do it, but they weren't willing to get in the wheelbarrow themselves to go across. Ultimately, somebody did get in the wheelbarrow and go across. And actually, on another occasion, somebody climbed on Charles' back, piggyback ride, and rode Charles across Niagara Falls. That person was his manager, who knew him trusted him. See, that's the difference between a transactional kind of faith and a relational kind of faith. And this is what Jesus is trying to point to. Not to just believe in the signs, but to the one that the signs point to. They point to a person. And some people still relate to Jesus this way. It's very common. It's very human to relate based on the signs versus on the person of Jesus. There are some people who rely on the signs to prove that God is on their side. They look to signs to prove that God is on their side. Sometimes this happens with 
natural disasters or natural wonders where they'll be like, oh, wow, you know, it rained on my field, so that means God's on my side. But it was a drought for you people, that means God really isn't approving of you. Or a hurricane, or just wealth in general. People will be like, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm wealthy, that means I'm blessed, that means God's on my side. Which then, of course, means the alternative that if you're struggling or if you're poor or if you're dealing with challenges in life, well, then obviously God isn't on your side. That's the sign, right? But that's not the way that God works. There are others who want signs because they are hurting and desperate. People who are looking to make a deal with God. Maybe somebody who has just received tragic news of about their own health or somebody else's or is dealing with a, a huge family crisis or an injury or who knows what, but suddenly is in that position of looking at God going, God, if you will just act, if you will just heal, if you would just do this, I will follow you for the rest of my life. Looking for the sign. And then there are others who may want signs because they've been hurt by the church or they've been hurt by another Christian or somebody else, and they're like, you know what, Lord, unless I get a sign from you, I'm not interested in hanging around these people anymore. All of those are real-life experiences. All of those are real people. And I'm not upset with them, and neither is God. But it's just if we only focus on the signs themselves... We miss out on what Jesus is trying to draw us into, which is in a relationship with him. Something personal and relational. A faith that isn't just in what God can do, but in who God is in Jesus. And that's where the story goes for the royal official. Jesus looks to him and says, Go, your son will live the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Now, what does it mean to take Jesus at his word? What does that mean for you and for me? Well, you know, when I say that we trust in the word or that we believe in the word, some of us, based on our backgrounds or just our experiences in life, immediately think we're talking just about the scriptures. We're talking about the written word of God. That's what it means to trust in the word. And that's part of it. <laughs> it's part of it, but it's not the whole story. And if you're wondering what more the story is, you can look right to the first chapter of John. Because <laughs> right in the first chapter of John, it starts off with, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is first the living word in the person of Jesus Christ. Before it's anything else. Before there was a written word, there was the living word. There was the word, the logos. Jesus himself. So there is Jesus, the word, and then there's the word that gets proclaimed, the word that we sit under when we come together as the body of Christ. And there's somebody preaching and proclaiming the law and gospel and, and letting us listen and receive it. That's, that's another aspect of the word, the proclaimed word. 
And then, yes, of course, there is the written word. But if we start with the written word and miss out on the fact that the written word points to Jesus as the living word and as the proclaimed word, we will go off on tangents, and some of those tangents will involve looking for signs that aren't signs from God at all. Because we'll see what we want to see rather than letting God reveal himself to us through the living word, the proclaimed word, and the scriptures being opened up. We want to come before the Lord honestly and first say, Jesus, I trust you at your word. How do we grow to taking Jesus at his word? How can we grow in this? Well, it starts with letting the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus to you so that you can have faith in who he is. And then sitting under his word and even gathering together with others to open up the pages of Scripture and letting his word read you and open you. Now I confess that sometimes the biggest violators of just sitting under the word of God are pastors and preachers. I'm saying this for myself. Why? Because so often the first thing that I think of when I come to the scriptures is, what do you want me to tell them, God? Now, is that unimportant? No, it's actually quite important. <laughs> it's an important part of what God has called me to. But unless I let God's word speak to me first, I am missing out on letting his living word capture my heart, convict me, show me where I fall short again and again and again, and then see his grace and mercy come to me in the person of Jesus to forgive me. I need that, and we all do. And when we position ourselves to be in a place for the living word, the proclaimed word, and the written word of Scripture to open us up, we stop looking for signs and we start to become a sign. See, I believe that that is what God desires for each of his people. It's not that they would look for signs everywhere, but instead they would become a sign, a sign that points to Jesus. You know these people in your life. I hope you do. That person who, when you encounter, when you talk with them, it's like being around Jesus. You hear their heart when they speak. You can see it in their eyes. Because they've sat under the word, they've let the word do its work in their heart, and now their life becomes a sign that points to Jesus. May we all become signs that point to Jesus. And here's one more thing. If you are here today or you're watching online, and you're among those who are desperate for a sign, who are hurting, who are skeptical, who are afraid. I understand. And so does Jesus. Jesus sees you. He sees you as you are. He sees you in that place. And he has great compassion on you. And it's his desire to reveal himself to you 
And I want you to be willing to take a chance today. After the service today, there's going to be some folks who are going to be available to pray for you right where you are. We have our prayer chapel that we've talked about that's open all week long, and certainly after the service is across the hallway. You can absolutely go there, but you can stay right here. And if you would like somebody to come and pray for you, just stay where you are, maybe raise a hand so that someone knows, and, and we will come and find you. <laughs> and we'll come and pray for you right where you are for whatever it is that you might be going through. And you don't have to feel ashamed. You don't have to feel singled out. You don't have to have all the answers, because we certainly won't either. But hopefully in that moment, we can come and pray with you that Jesus himself, the living word, would reveal himself to you, would speak to you, would meet you in your place of deepest need with who he is as your savior and your healer and your Lord. That's my hope for you today. And if it seems like a little bit too much to do that here today, please reach out with a phone call. Call me at the church. Call Pastor Angie at the church. Call Pastor Mary Ellen. You can even call Dan. <laughs> Seriously. You could call any of our staff people. We would love to take a moment and pray with you. We'd be happy to. Could do it over the phone, could do it in person, whatever it is. This is what we're here together to be. To try and live as signs for one another, pointing each other to Jesus as Jesus points us to himself. Let's live in that place. Now let's begin by praying for that right now as we close out our sermon today. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us through your son Jesus. That you have sent your word to become flesh and blood and live among us so that we can see who you really are. We can understand the tenderness of your heart, your mercy and your grace and your truth. And you are still revealing yourself to us today. And Father, I pray that anyone in this room today, Lord, who, who needs to see that, who needs to see you, Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to them today or in the days ahead. You would shower them with your grace and your compassion and your love. You would show them your mercy. You would, out of your love, Lord, redirect them from the places that are destructive and bring death instead of life, Lord. And from that place of repentance, Lord, you would show them your deep, deep compassion and love, your desire to forgive and show a way forward. Lord, you would reveal your written word you would let it open up to people to see it because your spirit is at work in them. You would meet them in their pain and their disappointments. Meet them in their questions and their skepticism, Lord. You are big enough to meet each one of us in every one of those realities in our life. So meet us there today, Lord. I'm asking, I'm praying, I'm trusting you, Jesus, to continue to reveal yourself to them and to me. 
thank you, Jesus, for being the word so that we can take you at your word. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.